0: Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member, so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen and we pray that you are blessed. Relove Church, family and community, thank you so much for just tuning in and I wanna welcome you to worship this morning. And while, even though we're still sheltering in place, I know that no matter where you're watching this from, whether you're at home or you're in your car or maybe going on a walk and you have your, 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 air, your earphones on, that God will speak to you. And that's our prayer, that God would speak to you, that he would encourage you, that he would draw you a little bit closer to him, that this word would both convict you and challenge you in your own spiritual walk. And so I just wanna thank you for taking the time and for leaning in and for engaging. And I would ask that you would just simply share this message with someone else. Even right now, you can take the link and you can copy it to your text message and send a text or send an email or call a friend and let them know what you're doing and invite them to participate with you in this worship service. Also, I would love to just know where you're watching from. So if you would just indulge me and in the chat, if you're on Facebook or on YouTube, just kind of put in where you're watching from. Some of you all might be here in Orange County. I would love to know what city you're watching from. Some of you all might be on the East Coast or down South. Some of you all might be in a different country altogether. Come on, I just want to see where you're watching from this morning. We'd love for you to let us know. Well, you know, obviously we are here in the States and we are in the heat of a political season, a political debate where Democrats and Republicans and the, the, the election is just a few weeks away. Many of you all may have watched the, the, the town halls that happened just this last week and everyone is kind of forming an opinion and taking sides on who they're gonna vote for or who they're not gonna vote for or why they're gonna vote for who they're gonna vote for. And what I want to do over the next four weeks is I just really want to lay a biblical framework for voting as Christians, as individuals who are in Christ. How does the word of God inform our politics? Does the word of God inform our politics? And so we're going to start this new series, four week series, I promise, only four weeks. And it's going to be called Red, White and Revelation. And in this series, I want to walk through the book of Revelation, specifically chapter 14, and see what the word of God has to say about politics. It's really a continuation of the identity series, because now that we understand who we are in Christ, how does me being in Christ inform my political orientation? Should I vote? Do I vote? Who do I vote for? Um, what should be my position on certain hot topics, political topics, moral topics? What should be my position as an individual who is now in Christ? And who, who would Christ vote for? If Christ were amongst us today and he had to cast his ballot, who would Christ be voting for? And so I want you to sit back and I want you to maybe even get some popcorn, definitely get a piece of paper and get a pen, take out some notes. And I want you to take notes because I want us to systematically walk through the word of God to see exactly what it has to say about the times in which we're living now. And I want to let you know that the word of God does have something to say, that this thing is not should not and is not just left up to our conscience. It should not and is not just left up to who we think is better The word of God has an opinion, even about Trump and Biden. And we want to look to see what the word of God has to say. So before we do that, let's jump into, before we jump into the word, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, I just thank you that your word tells us in Psalms 119, verse 105, I believe, that thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, I thank you that your word tells us that if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask you and that you will lead us. God, I thank you. That your word tells us that in all of our ways, if we acknowledge you, that you will direct our path. And so while we are living in some very contentious and heated and intense days where the nation is very divided and it seems to only be getting worse. And we don't know what's going to happen in two weeks and three weeks. God, our prayer is that you would lead our hearts, that you would allow your peace to overwhelm us that you would speak to us in these moments. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for hearing. We thank you for being a part of this moment. Lord, I pray for every one of your your children right now who are watching. Lord, you know the exact burden, challenge, situation that they are facing. Some have loved ones that are battling health complications. Some even now are battling health complications. Others are looking for jobs and kind of... At the end of their rope financially, others have pressing legal issues that, are, that, that they're facing, and they're not sure what to do, and they're not sure what the future holds, and there's a lot of anxiety about that. God, there's still others who are concerned about their children. They're concerned about their spouses. God, our prayer is that you would just be a bridge over troubled water, that you would be a refuge that we can run into, that we would not fear nor be afraid, And that we would know that you are still holding this world, as crazy as it is, in the palm of your hand. So, Lord, this is our prayer. Give us now, grant us now your peace, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, when I was growing up, I was an individual who kind of grew up in the Midwest. I spent the first 14 years of my life in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is about 30, 45 minutes outside of Detroit. All of my mom's family was in Detroit, so we would go to Detroit every other weekend to visit my grandmother, to visit my aunts and uncles. We, I lived with my, my three sisters in Ann Arbor. My dad's family was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is about four or five hours away. And so once a year, a couple times a year, we would drive that five hours to Pennsylvania, spend some time with my dad's family. And then when I was 14, my dad got a new job and he moved to Kansas City, Missouri. And so I just finished graduated eighth grade. I didn't want to leave, but he packed us all up and myself, my three sisters, my mom, we moved to Kansas City and that's where I went to high school and um, had a great time, had some great friendships there. But what's interesting about my particular childhood is that I really did not have a whole lot of country pride when I was growing up like this idea of country pride it really wasn't something that was a part of our consciousness like my father wasn't like hanging American flags outside of our house you know I mean yes we celebrated the 4th of July more for the fireworks than for the Independence Day right more for the hot dogs than for what it actually represented we Christmas was always a big time at our house but Country pride, you know, pro-America. It really really wasn't a part of my experience through my first really 18 years of of living. Now, I can tell you that we were pro the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is an NFL football team. Like we were pro the Detroit Pistons, which was a basketball team. So we had a lot of pride as it was related to sports, but we didn't have much pride as it related to the country. And it wasn't like we were anti-American by any stretch of the imagination, it it just wasn't a part of our experience, until I went to college. Because when I went to college, I went to Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama, and in this historically black um, college, this historically black university, this HBCU, it was a very, though it was all black, it was a very diverse black. So you had individuals obviously like myself who were black Americans, but you also had Jamaicans and Haitians and, and Trinidadians and individuals who were from Guyana, from Bahamas and from Bermuda. And so you had a, a number of individuals who came from other islands, other countries that were not a part of America. And when they came, let me tell you, Like, they came with extreme country pride. They came, the Jamaicans were wearing their Jamaican flags. They were always talking about Jamaica. The Haitians were like, no, it ain't about Jamaica. It's about Haiti. The Trinidadians were always talking about how good Trinidad was. The the people from the Bermudians were always talking about how good Bermuda was. All of these other countries, all these other um, states, these, these, these islands, these nations were extremely proud of who and where they came from. And they let everyone else know who was from America how proud they were. So much so that I remember thinking to myself as I would have conversations with my friends who were from these other places, I would think to myself, well, if you love your country that much, like why not just go back? Like, like that was my thought process. Like if it's so good there and you're so proud of where you're from, why are you here? Like, Just go back. And it was at Oakwood that I started to really have a consciousness about country pride and being proud of America. But I didn't really, it didn't really sit with me and I didn't really articulate it until I went abroad to other countries. When I would go to Jamaica to visit or when I would go to London to preach or when I would go to Africa to do mission work. And the people would ask me, Where are you from? I would always answer this question with two words. I'm from the States. The States. And as soon as I said the States, everyone was like, oh, yes, yes, you're American. You're American. You're from North America. And it was like I began to experience how proud I was of my country when I was not in my country. When I was in another country, I started to represent like, man, I'm really I, yeah, I'm from the States, and I'm proud to be from the States. But what's interesting is that it seems as though while I was in my country, and I think this didn't just, this didn't just apply to me. I think it applied to my friends who were from Jamaica and Haiti. Like when you're in your home country, you don't have that same country pride as you do when you are in another country. There's something funny and something weird about it. And when you go to another place, you are extremely proud of where you come from. Well, I think that's because, because when you're in your country, you see the issues that your country has. When you're in your country and you're living there and you're walking the streets, you see the injustice, you see the hurt, You see the pain. You see the division. You see the frustration. You see all of the issues that are going on in your country. And since we're all here in America, what really do I need to why do I need to why do I need to demonstrate country pride? Because I'm here. And yet right now we are living in a very divided country. Where there is half the country that is extremely proud of America and are trying to hold on to the American values of our past because they feel as though there is another group out there who is trying to change America and because there is a group out there that at least is perceived to be trying to change America and embrace a new set of values it is only driving in the the, the heels of into the ground of individuals who feel like no i am pro america i am pro country i am proud of this america and so because there is we are essentially experiencing a political civil war in this country, it shows that there is intense division in our country. So half of us are very proud and half of us are ashamed of our country and are trying to change it. And the proud individuals are digging their heels in saying, no, we're not gonna change. And the other individuals are trying to advance the cause. Yes, this this country has to change. And the church, the church is caught in the crosshairs. And the church, Unfortunately, is also not just caught in the crosshairs, but to a large degree, we have engaged and are participating in this division where the church, many evangelicals, many Christians and Protestants have taken sides, either pro-Democrat, pro-Republican, and we are, we are, we are driving in our yard signs for who we are and what we're going to vote for. But I don't believe that that should be the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is not to position. The purpose of the church is not to promote a political candidate. The purpose of the church is to promote the kingdom of heaven. And I wanna talk to you today about this. Because the reality is, is that when Christ was here, he said to us in no uncertain terms that the one thing I want from my church is I want you all to be one. I want you all to be unified. In fact, he says this in John chapter 17 and verse 21. He says that they may be. One, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Check this out now. So that the world may believe that you sent me. Like Jesus is very clearly saying that the church should take the position, not pro Democrat, not pro Republican, not pro Trump or pro Biden. The church should take the position that we are one. We are one people. It is not pro America. It's not pro another nation. We are pro And what God is trying to tell us in John chapter 17 is he says the goal of this oneness, the goal of this unity is that through this oneness, the world might believe that Jesus is real. Like, I want you to get this. He says, the goal of us being one is so that people out there who don't, who are not in Christ. Now, remember, I'm not talking about Christians. We've dealt with that, how we are not associating with that term anymore. I'm talking about people who are now in Christ. That people who are in Christ, the goal of us being in Christ is that now in Christ, there is no more black or white or, or, or male or female or Jew or Greek or, or Republican or Democrat. But when we are in Christ, the Bible says that we are all one. That that should be our calling card. That should be our our mark that characterizes us and that identifies us to the rest of the world. And that in our oneness, Jesus prayed, the world might believe and realize that this Jesus really is real. But how can we be one as a church when even the church has taken sides? That half of the church believes that abortion is wrong and the other half of the church believes that women should have the right to their own bodies. How can we be one when the church has taken sides, when half of the church believes that you know, we're pro-guns and, 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 and pro-police and uh, we're pro-this, and the other half of the church believes that, you no, know, we need to defund the police and Black Lives Matter. How can we be one when the church has taken sides? When the church has taken sides and half of the church believes in homosexuality and the other half of the church believes that homosexuality is an abomination, how can the church be won when the church has largely taken political sides? And what we have inevitably done is that we have elevated our political position and our national position and our ethnic position above our spiritual position. I want you to get this, and what I believe is the reason why we are more concerned with our political position. And the reason why we are more concerned with our national position than we are our spiritual position is because we fundamentally have forgotten who we are. And I just spent the last eight weeks talking about who we are in Christ. And let me get to, now. I want to be very clear, this goes both ways, y'all. Like I'm not preaching against Republicans and I'm not preaching against Democrats. I'm preaching against both political parties who are both wrong. And when we choose to align ourselves with one or the other above aligning ourselves with the kingdom, then we are no longer operating from the premise that God has called us to operate from, which is us being in Christ and bringing the church and bringing the world into unity. This applies to all of us. We have to understand, nothing wrong with country pride. But there is something wrong with country pride when country pride turns into love of country above love for my neighbor and love even for my enemy. You see, if you are so proud to be American or so proud to be Republican or so proud to be Democrat that you then can't even have a conversation with a Republican or you can't have a conversation with a Democrat. You have to understand that your position in Christ is in jeopardy because you are not operating from the framework, from the premise that God has called you to operate from. You are now worshiping another and it is not Christ and so country pride, country pride should always be for the advancement of the kingdom. I want you to get this. Country pride should always be for the advancement of the kingdom. Because my loyalty and my allegiance is not to this country Though I am grateful for this country and I respect this country and I am so grateful for the men and the women who have sacrificed their lives for the freedoms that we experience in this country. I am not loyal and I do not have allegiance to this country because what I understand is that when I accepted Christ, I was born again. And literally what that means is that now I have a different citizenship. That my citizenship is no longer American. My citizenship is now, I belong to another country, a heavenly country. I belong to the kingdom of heaven. And my loyalty and my allegiance is to that kingdom and to accomplishing that kingdom's agenda on earth. That's why the Father prayed. That's why Jesus prayed, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that has to be our position, y'all. We have to say to ourselves, how can I leverage my country um, of origin? How can I leverage my my gender, my sexuality, my ethnicity? How can I leverage my finances, my, my, my job, everything I have? How can I leverage that to advance thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? My loyalty and my allegiance has to be to the kingdom and this should be the position of every man and woman who claims the name of christ yes great be grateful and yes be appreciative and yes honor the lives of those who died to give you the position that you have but understand that christ died to give you a new position and that supersedes any other loyalty that I have. That's what it means to be born again. I think some of us are of the opinion that born again, and we dealt with it last week, but some of us are of the opinion that born again is just like another designation. It's another identity that we layer on top of every other identity that we have. But I just want to be very clear that when you are born again, it's not just another Check in the box, okay, yeah, I'm American, I'm black, uh, I'm Christian, I'm born again. No, that when you become born again, that becomes the subtotal of your entire identity is summed up in your your now position in Christ. This we know because this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus took his position and his relationship with the Father very seriously. So much so that in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this, and I want I want you to check, catch this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, the Bible says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother, his biological mother and his biological brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brother standing outside want to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and Mother, understand what Jesus just did. Jesus said that my messianic mission takes priority even over my family loyalties. I want you to get this. My messianic mission takes priority over my family loyalties. So much so that that Jesus is not he's not negating the importance of one's biological family. But what Jesus is saying is he is demonstrating the preeminence of a person's commitment to the kingdom of heaven above and beyond anything else. So that now we feel as though, well, me promoting this candidate is the will of God. And I'm doing the work of God. And this is God's man and God's candidate. So therefore, I am doing the work of God. Listen, be very, very careful that you don't place yourself in a position where you think you're doing the will of God, but you're really doing the work and the will of man. This is what God is saying to us. He says, The hour of God's judgment has come. Do not in 2020 be found worshiping any one but God. Okay, well, because you're so sensible and because you are such logical thinkers, I'm sure some of you are saying, well, then what does that mean? Does that mean I can't have a Trump sign in front of my house or I can't have a Trump flag or a Biden sign in front of my house? What does that mean? Does that mean I can't, Talk to my neighbors about my political stance. Does that mean I can't, shouldn't do this or I shouldn't des, uh, register to, to uh, help out with the polls? Does that mean I shouldn't be this or shouldn't be that? And no, that's not what I'm not saying. I want you to be very, what I'm, very clear on what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that talk to your neighbor all you want about your political stance. But when your neighbor comes away from that, from that conversation, they should not know that you're Republican or Democrat. They should know that you're in Christ. Y'all need to receive this thing. Talk to your neighbor all day long about what you feel about abortion or not abortion, what you feel about guns or not guns. Talk to your neighbor all day long about your position on homosexuality or not. Talk to your neighbor all day long about whether someone should be shacking up or not shacking up. Talk to your neighbor all day long about all of those things. But when the conversation is over, they should leave with the impression that this person is in Christ, and that this person is more concerned about advancing the kingdom of heaven than they are about whoever is in the White House. Because whoever is in the White House, they are not our savior, they cannot save us, and they are not going to fix this country. And if you are hoping that the person in the White House will somehow bring you peace or bring you a release of anxiety, I want you to understand that you are putting too much hope in man. Because our peace does not come from the policies that someone is putting forward. Our peace comes from God who says, I will keep you in the midst of the storm. If you keep your eyes on me. I will keep you in perfect peace. So what I want you to do in a practical sense is I want you to follow the example of Paul because in Philippians chapter three, Paul shows us what I believe is the perfect approach to actually manifesting Revelation 14 verse seven. See, Revelation 14 verse seven says, God's judgment has come. Worship him who is, what does it say? Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and the springs of water. That's what Revelation 14 verse 7 says. And I think that what Paul does in Philippians chapter 3, he shows us how we worship God in the midst of a nation that is divided. In the midst of a country that is constantly pulling on us to take political positions and to be loyal and allegiant to a flag or to a country above the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at it quickly. Revelation, excuse me, Philippians chapter three and verse three through nine. I want to read what it says. The Bible says, For it is we who are circumcision. Now let me just let me just give some context. Because in Philippians chapter three, and excuse me, in the entire book of Philippians, Paul is writing To the church of Philippi, and he's writing to them because he is trying to, number one, thank them for their hospitality and for their service towards him, but he's also trying to encourage them towards Christian unity, right? He's trying to encourage them to say, hey, you all need to be together, be one. He's trying to encourage them towards unity, which I think is a extremely relevant message for us in today's society. And so in Philippians chapter three, Paul begins to dissect and I love how he does it. He begins to dissect all of the little nuances of society that can potentially bring disloyalty, not disloyalty, disunity. Paul begins to like with a surgical knife, begin to cut away all of our excuses and all of our false alliances and loyalties. And Paul begins to point us to a more heavenly loyalty. So Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 3, he says, For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Don't forget that phrase, no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, Though I myself have reason for such confidence... If someone else thinks they have a reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have the more. So Paul says, listen, I have every reason to put confidence in my flesh. And then he, gives, he begins to give us the reasons. He says, verse five, I was circumcised when I was eight days, eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a real Hebrew, he says. If there ever was one, I was a member of the Pharisees, the highest religious sect, who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, he says, "I." obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Understand what Paul just did. Paul just gave his resume. Paul just gave his credentials. Paul's like, listen, I was, I mean, come on now. I, I had no control over it, but guess what? I was circumcised on the eighth day. Right. Even from my birth, I was born into this thing. I am more pure blooded, a more pure blooded Israelite, a Hebrew than any of y'all out there. He says, if anyone thinks that they are better than me, just just fall back. (laughs) Like, like, I I got you. I, I can handle this. Paul's like I had all of these things going for me. But then he says, I once thought that these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless for what Christ has done. Verse eight, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Look what Paul is saying to us. Paul is saying, my heritage, my childhood, my upbringing, my education, uh, my, my, my ancestry, all of it placed me in a position of, of superiority above everyone else. But Paul says, I take all those things that gave me this platform and it's garbage. I used to value it, but now it means nothing. And I love how Paul says it. Paul says, Paul says, Confidence in the flesh. Now, I think what we would call country pride, Paul calls confidence in the flesh. Right. What we call country pride. I'm proud to be an American because of our liberties and our freedoms and our and our and our and our laws and our declaration of independence and our our, our um, um, all these things that we have. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be an American for what it, for this country represents. And, you know, those on the right are saying, yes, God, guns and country. I'm proud to be an American. Those on the left are saying, yes, I'm an American, which is my, my life, my body, my rights. Like, And both parties are taking this position where they're saying, I am proud to be an American in some capacity. And what Paul is saying is that your country pride, whether it's for God, guns, and country, or your life, your body, your freedom, that your country pride is really confidence in the flesh. And Paul says, don't put confidence in your flesh, in your upbringing, in your heritage, in your position, in your guns, in your orientation, in your your political position. Paul says, all of that, means nothing the only thing that matters is christ and to know christ this word confidence it literally means boldness trust dependence paul says don't put any of your trust in the things of this flesh whether it's police and police unions whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it, is, whether it is Democrats or Republicans or Antifa or Proud Boys, Paul says, do not put any confidence in the flesh. The only thing that matters is are you in Christ? He says, I count all of those things which in the past gave me an, an advantage, which gave me a position above and beyond others. Paul says, I count all those things. Garbage, so that I might be one in Christ. That's why I say that when you encounter your neighbor, you telling your neighbor and arguing about, to your neighbor about your position is really garbage. You're discussing garbage with your neighbor. And your neighbor is leaving not knowing who Christ is and not knowing who the kingdom of heaven is and what they stand for. Your neighbor is leaving feeling like more of the same and you just had a conversation about trash. When you're talking about guns versus abortion versus sexuality versus this thing issue or that issue or that policy or this policy, you're talking about trash. Paul says none of that matters. What matters is are you advancing the kingdom of heaven? You're either in Christ or you're in this world. So, don't care if you're a Democrat, don't care if you're a Republican, don't even care if you're independent, what matters is are you in Christ? That's what matters. And this is why our nation is so divided, because Christians have elevated their political position above their spiritual position. God is not for Americans, God is not for Mexicans, God is not for Asians, God is not for Indonesians or Pacific Islanders, God is for people, all people. For God so loved the world. Doesn't matter what nation you're from, what country you're from, God is for all people. So the question is how am I leveraging how am I utilizing the freedoms that I have in this country to advance the kingdom of heaven? How am I leveraging the fact that I'm a black American or that you are a white American or that you may be an Asian American or uh, that you are a Mexican American or that you are a Pacific Islander American? How are you leveraging that identity, your ethnicity, your, your, your country of origin? How are, you, how are you leveraging that to move the mission of Christ forward? That is our position. For Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable. I once thought being a black American was valuable. I once thought being a white American was valuable. I once thought that being a Mexican American was valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So the question is, hour of God's judgment has come, Revelation fourteen seven, Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the seas, the fountains of water, the springs of water. Paul tells us in Philippians 3 how we should feel about all of our ethnic origin and heritage, that we should feel like, mm, I only use it, it's only valuable to me as it helps me advance God's agenda on earth, right? Not your agenda, God's agenda baptized into your agenda. No, God's true agenda on earth, which is introducing people to Jesus Christ. If it doesn't help me do that, then it's worthless, Paul says. So because of that, the question now is, well, pastor, okay, how do I vote? Should I even vote? Would Paul vote? Would Jesus vote? How do I vote? That is the million-dollar question. And depending on who you listen to, some pastors will very clearly tell you, vote Republican. Why? Because we have to protect the unborn babies. We have to protect our civil rights, our country, our values. Other people are going to tell you, vote Democrat. Why? because we need to protect our liberties and our freedoms and a woman's right to her body and we must protect um, our our choice, our sexual choices and we have to protect our freedoms under that regard. The question is, what does God say? Who is right? Let me just tell you, neither of them are right. The thing I do when I think about voting is I wanna know what are the principles found in the word of God that will inform my vote? And the primary principle that I use that informs my orientation on political um, choices and government officials is Micah 6 verse 8. And Micah 6 verse 8 says this, he has shown you, O man, what is good And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. For me, that is my criteria when I go into that ballot box. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. You see, if you are truly a kingdom citizen, then when you go into the ballot box, you cannot vote for the candidate that is gonna promote your self-interest. If you are a kingdom citizen, then you must follow the example of Christ and Christ never promoted his self-interest. He always promoted the interest of those around him, the least of these, the marginalized. Now, that could be the unborn babies and you vote Republican. That could be the immigrants and the homeless and the marginalized in society, and you vote Democratic. That is something that you have to decide. But the principle that you operate from, that I operate from, is that God is calling me, and what he requires of me is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And so how that manifests in your voting and how that manifests in my voting, we have to be led individually based off of that principle. However, what I don't want you to do, and I am not doing, is I am not gonna go into the ballot box and I'm gonna say, God told me to vote for this person. <laughs> don't, don't over-spiritualize your vote, right? No, 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 no. Like we say vote your conscience, but many of us have replaced our conscience with the Holy Spirit. So we feel like our conscience is the Holy Spirit. Right. No, no. God is not caught up in this political rally. God is not. Oh, yeah, I want Biden in because he's going to do my agenda. Or no, I want Trump in because he's going to do my agenda. No, 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 no. God is about the kingdom of heaven. He is about transferring people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That is his agenda. So personally, what Jesus stepping into the ballot box, I believe that Jesus would vote for that person who is going to advance the kingdom of heaven. And so I don't know if Jesus will vote for any of them. Let's just be honest, because both of them are wrong. And Jesus is not caught up in our political debates. He is not caught up in our mess down here. He is saying, listen, I don't belong here. In fact, when Jesus, I think it's in John chapter four, when the disciples came to Jesus and he was talking to the woman at the well and the disciples said, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, aren't you hungry? Why are you talking to this woman? Jesus says, listen, I'm here for another reason. I'm not caught up between, can I talk to a Samaritan woman? Can I not talk to a Samaritan woman? That's not why I'm here. I'm here to advance the kingdom of heaven. So when you go into the ballot box, you need to vote for that person that you believe will allow you the best opportunity to advance the kingdom of heaven's agenda on earth. Whether that's Donald Trump, whether that's Biden, whether that's an independent, you can even write my name in there if you want to. (laughs) Whoever you think is gonna help advance the kingdom of God's agenda on earth. And it's not even so much advancing Because it's not advancing as in, oh, this person is going to do a better job. Because at the end of the day, we recognize that all of this that we're talking about, this world here, that all of this is a mess. It's really not so much about advancing as much as it is, who's going to create the environment that will allow me the opportunity to still tell my neighbor about Jesus Christ? That is the only thing that's important at the end of the day. It's not about my issues. It's not about how much money I can make or how much how many taxes I can not pay or how many taxes I should pay. It's not about should it be socialism or capitalism. At the end of the day, it's about how do we advance God's agenda on earth, and we know very clearly what His agenda is. For He tells us in Luke chapter four, last text, He tells us, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim for freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. And I've talked about this at length at this church, that when Christ comes again, he's only asking us six questions. And one of them is not who did you vote for? He wants to know what did you do for the naked? What did you do for the stranger? What did you do for the poor? What did you do for the sick? What did you do for the person who was in prison? What did you do for those individuals that everyone else forgot about? He's not asking us who we voted for. He's asking us, what did you do for people that didn't have what you have? Did you leverage your blackness, your whiteness, your Hispanicness, your Asianness to advance my kingdom? And that is my appeal to you today. That you would become so kingdom-centered that in your mind, you would not be as caught up in what's happening in this political world and you would recognize that this world, this world is a mess and that my allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, I'm going to vote. Yeah, I'm going to participate. Yeah, I'm going to weigh in. But at the end of the day, what I want my neighbor to hear is not my political opinion. What I want my neighbor to hear is my position in Christ. It's tough. And I may have created more questions and answers for you today, but that's the reality in which we live in because many of us are caught between these two citizenships. And what I want you to do is to plant your flag for the kingdom of heaven, so that everything you say and everything you do and everything that how you live is for the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you. This is tough, 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 tough stuff here, but yet you have simplified it for us in your word. You have told us, listen, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's in the White House, at the end of the day, the question is, is Christ on the throne of our hearts? And are we embracing the mission of God, which is to let people know that Jesus loves them he's coming back for them so father my prayers for your people my prayer is that you would encourage and strengthen and direct your people so that we might know God that you are in control and that our allegiance and loyalty would be to you and to you alone it's our prayer in Jesus name Amen family friends, real love community. So I just want to be very clear and I want to challenge you to understand that our oneness as a people, as a church, as a community is not found when I can convince someone of my political position. That's not where the oneness is. Paul barely clearly tells us our oneness is found when we are willing to lay aside our nationalism, our orientation, our position, and we recognize the only thing that matters is us being in Christ. That is where our oneness is found. And in order for us to get there, I want to challenge you over the next two and a half weeks until November 3rd, the election, I would just challenge you to turn down the news and to turn up the word of God. I would challenge you to go on a two-week fast from the news stations and from the political debates and just tune into what is God saying to me about my position in him and who I am and what he's trying to accomplish in this world. Many of you all have already voted, and if you haven't already voted, your minds are already made up about who you're going to vote for, and there's not a whole lot of new information that's gonna persuade you. So I would challenge you, if you're in that camp, So let's just shut off Trump and let's shut off Biden. and Let's just turn it down. And in this moment, let's lean in to what Christ has to say to his church. Because by this, us coming together and recognizing our oneness in Christ, that is when the world will know that Jesus is alive. I love you. Praying for you. See you next week.